Okay, for our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Barnabas Grayson entitled, What Does God Want? Mr. Grayson. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you. Kind of spoiled by that greeting. I'd like to mention a few things that are going on in our world today. Heard about probably the uh, storm that uh, hit Iowa. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, about 10 million acres were hit, cornfields flattened, power outages are there. Also in Colorado, we hear about fires. Also, across the country, tornadoes, severe winds, hail, and heat warnings. Also saw a little segment on how some of the farmhand people that are picking the crops for us are facing this COVID-19 infection. So who knows what the supply is going to be like in the future. But what is it that God wants? In times like these, where do we find the answers? It's in the book of Micah. It's said that not much known, there's much known about this prophet Micah. But that he was a contemporary of Isaiah and also of Amos. He had an important message to give to Israel and to Judah. Two nations that were in moral and spiritual decay. Which was undermining the foundations of the society. And like all the prophets, they weren't very popular. Few liked to hear what they had to say. Much less heed their messages, even though they knew the prophet was sent by God, and still they were questioned. Things look good on the surface of that society, but beneath the power and the wealth, there was idolatry, and there was injustice going on, even as today. Like Isaiah and other prophets, they saw beneath the lifestyle that was before their eyes, the same as God saw. And so Micah received a vision from God to deliver to them a message. Today we'll look at the book of Micah to see how that message was not just important in Micah's day, but also to our time today. And we can make some comparisons. Now Micah is a name that means he who is like Yahweh or Jehovah, however one wishes to pronounce that, or Lord. So as a prophet, in the name of the Lord, by his authority, it is through the eternal himself that this warning, that this message to the people is being brought to them and telling them of their transgressions and urging them to repent. Repent. 
to look at the things that they were doing in life that was not pleasing to God and that he was giving a message of warning and punishment to come unless there is repentance. Today, we know that COVID-19 has brought a lot of changes to people's lives and to places. It's brought death and sickness. We've seen the numbers and some of the heartbreaking stories that go along with people who have succumbed to this dread disease. And it's a real threat. This virus is a real threat to our daily life, health-wise and income-wise. As we heard, you know, there is unemployment, 28 million who are receiving at least some federal assistance. But in many cases, there uh, is no job to return to. So we see some of the stories that are unfolding slowly and not bringing very much joy to families across the country. Many are just still unemployed. Still, there are some jobs that have, that have uh, been added. But things do not look very good depending on who you want to listen to. Because, in a way, there's always a positive spin. It's always good to be of a cheerful heart, no matter what goes on, because we put our trust in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But a return to normalcy may not come for a while. Maybe it will come sooner, but we don't know at this point. So where is God in all of this? Where is the Lord in all of this? Where is the eternal in all of this? Is there something that he wants us to do? Is there something that he is showing us that we should consider in our life today? Now, as, as in Micah's day, Israel and Judah just continued on in their sins. In the meantime, God was shaping Assyria into a world power. And if things did not change, the nation would be overtaken by an enemy. And in our case today, maybe Russia, maybe China, maybe Germany, maybe the European Union. Yet, as we will see, there is good news that is embedded in the book of Micah, in this book of prophecy, which also predicted the birth of Jesus Christ and the coming kingdom. Let's begin in chapter 6 and kind of keep in mind the question, what does God want? What does he require of his people? That is, you and me. Chapter 6, we see this is the Lord's case against Israel. I'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 9. I may not read all of it depending on how much time I want to put before you. It says, hear you now what the Lord says. Arise, continue before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a controversy with his people and he will plead with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done unto you? And wherein have I burdened you? 
testify against me. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of servants. And I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. So the eternal is reminding us of the things that he did to carry them through in leaving Egypt and across uh, and in their journey toward the promised land. And oh my people, he reminds them, remember now what Balak, king of uh, Moab, consulted and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. And then the question we ask, wherewith, they ask, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with Thousand, uh, ten thousands of rivers of oil. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions? Or the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So they were implying that it's, it's really too hard to serve God. What does he expect of us? They were wondering. All of these things that they use in exaggeration. What is it that God wants from us? And in verse 8, he showed, he has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do these things. One, to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Three basic things that are put here into this scripture. The Lord's vo voice cries unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see your name. Hear ye the rod and who has appointed it. So when you look at uh, to do justly. Talking about fairness in our relationships and social institutions. And our attitudes toward one another. And in talking about uh, to love mercy. That's kindness. That's uh, as we know uh, love is outgoingness and it is concerned toward uh, others to have compassion and caring and, and forbearance. And to do this humbly, without vanity, without pride, without aggressiveness, without boasting or conceit, but walking, and not walking in our way, but in the way of the Lord. The Lord's voice cries unto the city. And the man of wisdom shall see thy name. He will see that it is the voice of God. That this voice carries authority. So hear ye the rod. And we know that a rod is often uh, a scepter that uh, symbolizes authority or staff for walking. And how do you hear? How do you hear uh, uh, the rod? And who has appointed it? I thought about this and I uh, could only uh, think about the time when I was in grade school and uh, sitting in fourth grade, third grade, fifth grade and uh, we had a principal that uh, uh, we really uh, respected and feared because he carried a lot of weight, a lot of authority 
And sometimes he would come into the classroom and call out a name, and that person, boy or girl, would uh, go to the, uh, down to the office. And you know what, the office uh, just, uh, his presence just sent a kind of a fear into our, uh, to, into me anyway, because I always felt guilty about things. But when he called that person out, sometimes you would hear uh, his paddle at work. And we call them SWATs or we call them, you know, other things. Uh, and, um, and just to hear it, we know what uh, that person was going to. But the rumor was, instead of really going down and paddling somebody, he would use that paddle to hit against the cushions of his chair and that would send a fear to all of the kids to stay in line th- uh, for the rest of the day. Don't know if you've ever been swatted in school. I will confess I have. And, uh, you know, the paddle they have, it had, a, it had names on it. People that they wanted to put their name on it. And it had a hole sometimes in the middle, you know, to, to uh, make it more swifter when it was, you know, through, going through the air. And if you knew you were getting a paddling, you heard this rod. You heard it being applied. <laughs> and uh, so it, you dreaded it. It was one of those things that you didn't want to get. And if you knew you were going to get paddled, you went to the bathroom and you rolled down those paper towels and you put them behind you. Which didn't work. And uh, sometimes uh, the students that come from the office, they, you know, they would come back either tearful or maybe rubbing their behind. It seems like the girls didn't really get as many swats as the boys, though, and we expected that. But that's how I sort of looked at, the, at this scripture. When you see the authority of God, or even when you hear the things that are going on, there is a, a, a correction being applied. So the Eternal showed his people what was required of them as they began their way to the promised land. And he gave them laws and statutes and, and corrections along the way. But like today, and all generations since then, there were those who did not listen. There were those who did not heed, but they turned uh, from the way. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Look at verses 11 through 13. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, take your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give unto them. So we know that uh, the land in which they were going, the Canaanites uh, uh, lived there, they dwelled there, and they were wicked. And so God was uh, being faithful to his covenant and to dispossess him of the land because of their wickedness. And, and now, verse 12, and now Israel, what does the Lord, your God, require of you? Same uh, question that was asked uh, back there in, uh, in Micah. But to fear the Lord, your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord. So if you had your Bible, you would underline those things. To fear the Lord, your God. How do we fear the Lord, our God? How do we pay our respect 
uh, toward him? And how do we worship him? And how do we walk in all his ways? And how do we love him? And how do we serve him? But to do, to do this, to serve the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, your, your being, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you this day. Why? For their good. That's what it says. For uh, this day, for your good. So the Lord gave them commandments and laws to to abide by, for they are for your good. And we remember the words of Jesus also saying the same thing, saying if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. Keep those things that were commanded long ago, that we have even before us today, written in the pages of the Bible, not on the tablets of stone that was written at that time, but to remember those commandments. So Israel was to enter the promised land, and some of them just didn't. Some rebelled along the way and failed to live up to those requirements. But here in Micah, what was going on that God brought a charge against them? This book of Micah reads like a prophecy because it gives warning and it gives predictions and a, the reason for coming uh, judgment, for pending judgment. Scholars say that this is a sister book <coughs> to Isaiah and has been described by uh, writers as Isaiah in shorthand. Now the background of, I, I, uh, of Micah's prophecy is believed to reflect the reign of King Ahaz, one of the most wicked kings in all of Judah's history. So the purpose of this prophecy of Micah is to confront the people, to get them to face their sins and warn of God's judgment on them because of their continual sinning. Now, we might ask, well, where is God's prophets today? Where is the warning and the corrections and the predictions by the prophets? Well, we have only to look to the Bible and at some future time, God will raise up a prophet that will speak clearly, that will reveal to the people just what is going on and why some of these things that are going on in our world today are coming about. In Amos chapter 3, it says, surely, in the verse 7, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants. <clears throat> so in the book of Amos, if somewhere here, like to read a little bit more to that scripture in Amos chapter 3. In verse 3, it's asked, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Got to be able to get along, and there are requirements that will bring that uh, to fruition of unity. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Down in verse uh, 7, again, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals it, 
but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. So, you know, something that is secret is not known. But the prophets, he will reveal those secrets to them of things that are to come. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Publish in the palaces of Ash, at Ashdod and in the palaces in the land of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria and behold the great tumults, things that are happening in the midst thereof and the oppressed in the midst thereof. So reasons are brought out for them to pay attention and to heed what the Lord has uh, for them to, to hear. So there are many events that are written down in scripture that can be compared to events that happened a long time ago and, and are still happening today in different ways. Ecclesiastes 1.9, it says, The thing that has been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Going on to verse 10 it says. Is there anything. Whereof it may be said. See this is new. It has been already of old time. Which was before us. And when you think about new things. We think a lot about the technology that we have. In our world today. And I don't think. I may be wrong. But I don't think there were cell phones back then or the transportation like we have today. But it's the idea of people doing pretty much the same thing, but uh, in a different way. It's kind of like, uh, you know, we drive these uh, uh, powerful pickups and things today. And perhaps back in the day of prehistoric times, uh, like I used to watch on, uh, on Flintstones, where, you know, he would get himself going by moving his feet under the, under the cart, you know, using a dinosaur to help him pick up dirt, things of that sort. It's pretty much the same. Ecclesiastes 3.15 tells us that which has been is now, and that which is to be has already been, and God requires that which is past. He's going to bring those things to pass again. So there are things that aren't really new, like the wars and the diseases that we have and all of the corruption and other things that are uh, transpiring, transpiring in, our, in our world today. The Darby translation says that which is was long ago. And that which is to be has already been and God brings back again that which is past. So what will get, a, get our attention? We have history to look back on and in some ways, we, uh, we see that and it does get our attention. But when it's actually taking place, then that gets our attention even more. So, there are examples in history that we learn from. And we can see cause and effect and, and avoid those things. And, and what's that, that saying? Uh, that those who do not heed the lessons of history are doomed to repeat it, bound to repeat it. 
So here in the book of Micah, we see the people's sins described. We see God's judgment and warning, and also his restoration, his redemption of his people, the forgiveness and the mercy that he shows to them that, that is to come. So we'll look at this controversy that brought this on. The Lord had, he had this controversy with his people and what he, uh, he required to set things straight. As mentioned earlier, Micah's uh, name means who is like Yahweh or Jehovah. In other words, who is like the Lord or God. So Micah came to the people as would the Lord who in this case was bringing forth a, a charge or a case against the people. Chapter 1. I gave it the heading, Let All the World Listen. The word of the Lord that came to Micah, the Morishite, uh, uh, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Those were the capital cities. Hear all you people. Hearken, O earth. So not just the people, but also the earth. The, those that will see and hear and witness these things. And all that herein, therein is. And let the Lord God be witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. For behold the Lord comes forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. He's not going to let sin go un unpunished. He's going to come down, come forth out of his place. And what an awesome thing that is to, to suddenly, to the day comes when it's time to make a move against the sins uh, and the clamor and all the calamity that's going on in the world to come down and begin correcting. And it says, And the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down in, in, play, in, in a steep place. So there's not anything that is so high and mighty that it won't be touched. Uh, these kingdoms or these governments that are going to melt before his presence. Therefore I will make Samaria as a heap of the field and as plantings of a vineyard and I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley and I will discover the foundations thereof. The, the landscape is just going to be uh, wiped, uh, wiped off, wiped clean. And all the carved images or the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces and all the hires thereof shall be burned with fire and all the idols thereof will I lay desolate for she gathered it of the hire of a harlot and they shall return to the hire of a, of a harlot. So we see in a way a what has become a kind of a popular phrase these days is a cancel culture where places uh, place uh, uh, images that represent evil and false ways and, and those ideas that go along with certain beliefs. So those things you know, in the, in where it says when the earth will become a ball of fire, all those things will be uh, uh, gone. Therefore I will wail and 
how I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls. I've read one scripture too far. Let me, let's go to Micah chapter 2. The Lord will reward evil with evil. Verse 2. Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. Think about what they're going to do to cause evil. And when the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. You know, nowadays, uh, it's, it's pretty easy to put thoughts together, to put uh, intentions and evils together, because, you know, we have a device in our hand that, that reaches out to as many people that are on the end of those receiving messages. And they covet fields, and take them by violence, and houses, and take them away, so they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his, and his heritage. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, against this family do I devise an evil from which ye shall not remove your necks, neither shall you go haughtily, for the time, uh, time is evil. As I asked, I think I did a little while ago, where do we find truth? We know that it is through the word of God because it says thy word is truth. And it also says to us to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together so much more as you see the day coming. Uh, if that's in our minds, if that's in our heart, that we see the day coming, we're going to try to prepare ourselves and to meet those requirements that uh, is set forth for us. But there's an old saying that says familiarity breeds contempt. And Satan would like us to do something else at those times in order to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So we have to beware of the wiles of Satan uh, and the things that he wants to do in order to, to um, uh, get us to leave uh, the path. Verse 4. In that day shall one take up a parable against you. And lament with a doleful lamentation. And say we be utterly spoiled. He has changed the portion of my people. How has he removed it from me turning away he has divided our fields. Therefore you shall have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. And verse 6, prophesy you not. Say they that prophesy. They shall not prophesy to them that they shall not take shame. Words. Uh, they shall not prophesy to them and they shall not take shame. The ones who are prophesying are saying don't prophesy. Don't tell us these things. We don't want to hear these bad things that are coming along. They preach about goodness. They preach about faith. But yet sometimes when the warning is put out there, they don't want to prophesy those things. 
And they say, surely evil will not come our way. So, verse 7, O you that are named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to them that walk uprightly. So God's truth, we see, should be uh, spoken, should be bold, but people really would rather hear uh, good things. Turn to the book of Isaiah. I don't think, I don't know if uh, I gave this to Brian. Probably not. Um, forgetful in my youthful age. Uh, Isaiah. I know it's in here somewhere. There it is. I'd like to read from uh, chapter 30. Let's start verse 10. Verse 9. That this is a rebellious people. Lying children. Children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Which say to the seers. See not. Don't prophesy. Don't look ahead. And to the prophets. Prophesy not unto us. Right things speak unto us uh, smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Tell us lies. Deceive us. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from and before us. Wherefore thus saith the Holy One of Israel. Because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness. And stay thereon. Therefore this iniquity. Shall be to you as a breach. Ready to fall. Swelling out in a high wall. Whose breaking. Cometh suddenly. At an, at an instant. So they. Those who prophesy. Uh, who speak about God. They, many don't want to hear about those things. In which God gives warning. Let's drop down to verse 10 of chapter 2. Arise you and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is polluted, it shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto you of wine and strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. As mentioned earlier in the uh, first message, false prophets are going to come. They're going to come along preaching joys of wine and, and drink and this uh, uh, with people, what people want to hear. Verse 12, I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of you. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Basra, as a flock in the midst of their foe, they shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of, of sin. 
If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, it says in verse 11. We know that God is not the author of confusion. Because he says in James, if you have bitter envyings and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So God is not the author of confusion. The word of God does its best to make it clear as we study, as we try to prove all things and hold fast to that, to that which is good. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 39, it asks, can the blind uh, uh, lead the blind and shall they not both fall into a ditch? Because we see a lot of confusion in the world. We also see the lying and the hypocrisy. We also see the lawlessness and the lack of love uh, among uh, people. And it's all due to a lack of godliness and injustice that's going on. But God has given us eyes as he gave the prophets. Eyes to see and understand and disprove uh, those things. But in the carnal way of thinking. All of these things. The confusion, the lying, the hypocrisy. Uh, these things bring up protests. They bring up uh, insurrection against Authority. It's in the carnal way of thinking. It's the only way that these people can respond. Chapter 3. It's a, a heading I, I put. It says the leaders pay heed. Verse 1. Uh, Listen you leaders of Israel. You are supposed to know right from wrong. Yet you are the very ones who hate good and love evil. You skin my people clean to the bone. That's in essence what verses 1 and 2 are, are telling us. And in verse 3, and I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and you princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? You know, the difference between right and wrong. Who hate the good and love the evil. Who pluck off their skin and from off them and their flesh from off uh, their bones. Who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them. And they break their bones and, and chop them in pieces as for the pot and as flesh within the cauldron. They're just ruthless in their behavior. Toward those that they oppress. Then shall they cry unto the Lord. But he will not hear them. He will even hide his face. From them at that time. As they have behaved themselves. In their doings. So you know there's a time when God. Uh, won't hear. But he will look the other way. And allow things to happen. That will get their attention. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err. 
that bite with their teeth and cry peace and he that puts not into their mouths that they even prepare war against them. So when you see religious leaders and uh, servant leaders in a position of influence doing the wrong, uh, wrong thing or turning a blind eye to things in, in society, they become a part, like the saying goes, a part of the problem and not a part of the answer. Try to finish here in uh, five minutes here. Chapter four. For, uh, what the world will be like. In the last days it shall come to pass that the mountains of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow unto it. You know, it's talking about that time coming, the government of God on the earth, the millennium uh, kingdom. And many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So the whole earth will be ruled by, by the Lord from Jerusalem as we, as we know. He shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not uh, rise against nation, lift up a sword against na nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. And they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree and none shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. So his words are words of promise to, to us. A promise of peace. A promise of prosperity. A promise of rest. You know, be beneath those, uh, the big shades of the, of the fig and the vine. For all people will walk, everyone in the name of his, of his God. Now what does that mean? Is there going to be uh, different gods in, in the world that is to come in the millennium? This is reference to those pagan nations in Micah's day. And it's not the nations that are in the millennium. Because if you look back at verse 2, it says, uh, Let us go to the mountains of the Lord, and we will walk in his paths. So this is speaking of those pagan nations in Micah's day. And in that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halts, and I will gather her that is driven out and her that I have uh, afflicted. So the sick, the lame, the dispossessed, he will make them strong again. And he will restore the exiles from coming ca captivity. The next event, chapter 5, is about the vengeance that will, that will take place. And I won't go over those, but... Drop down to verse uh, 9. Thine hand shall be lifted upon thine adversaries, and all enemies shall be cut off. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of you, and I will destroy your chariots. Those are things that, you know, we generally use that are made for war. And I will cut off the cities of the, your land and throw down all the strongholds. 
And I will cut off witchcrafts out of the land. And ye shall have no more soothsayers. Your graven images also will I cut off. Your standing images out of the midst of you. And ye shall no more worship the work of your hands. And I will pluck up your grooves out of the midst of you. So will I destroy the cities. And I will execute vengeance in anger and fury upon the heathen. We'll skip chapter 6, go to chapter 7, the last chapter of the book of uh, Micah, where we see and read about the Lord will be doing mighty miracles. Verse 1, Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruit as a grape gleanings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desires the first uh, fruit. So Micah, in, in his day, is describing himself like in the midst of uh, middle of the field uh, where uh, there is just a godless society and so he goes out to uh, pick fruit but he doesn't find any verse uh, 6 the son for the son dishonors a father daughter rises up against her mother daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies uh, are the men of his own house, the people of his own house. So we see everyone turning against others, just like it, uh, we, we've read in, in the prophecy that Jesus gave on Mount Olivet, Matthew 24. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord, even as Micah did, this is, this is what we do. We look unto the Lord wait and wait for the God of our salvation, and God will hear us. So rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall, because I shall rise, and when I sit in darkness, and the Lord shall be a light unto me. Down to verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee, that pardons iniquity, and passes by the transgressions of the remnant? Of his heritage. He retains not his anger. Forever because he delights in mercy. So we see a wordplay on, on Micah's name. And the answer. Is that there is no one. Like the Lord. Because of his kindness. Because of his mercy. Because of his presence. And because of his word. That is meant to lead and guide us. In, into, into life. Verse 20. That will perform the truth to Jacob, the mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. So God will keep those promises that were made to his people. <clears throat> so changes are coming. We see them today. Some not good. And will it be in our lifetime? lifetime? We don't know. When all of these things uh, are, are going to manifest themselves. But back to Micah chapter 6. 6 through 8. And in conclusion. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord. And bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before him. With burnt offerings. With calves of a year old. All of these things. What, what do I. What should I give. Verse 8. Conclusion. He has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God.